the Utah Open Source Foundation brings the Utah Logs home. Feel free to listen live at stream.utos.org or catch the audio afterward at podcast.utos.org. The bandwidth is provided by Center 7. The following presentation, Parrot, was given on March 11, 2009 by Stephen Weeks at the Provo Linux User Group. Visit their site at plug.org. Hello. Let's see if this works again. My X server wouldn't wake up. And now it's trying to log in again. And so we, we it was working before. And now it's not. But um, hello, Is that everybody. Fault? Yes, it's actually your fault. Okay. Is what would be true. I'm lying there. It's not Stuart's fault. Um, Stephen Weeks, I'm here from Guru Labs. Parrot is really cool. I'm so excited about Parrot. Parrot is a dynamic, it's a virtual machine for dynamic languages. NVIDIA settings. And it's also a set of compiler tools on top of that. Give me a second. Let's click here. Disa no, don't be disabled. Shut up. Yes, this is how I teach all the time. I shout profanities at my laptop. That's, whoa. Am I? Uh, that will have to be good enough. Now my display right here is very, very tiny. Doesn't show as much as up there does. That's interesting. But I don't have an ATI card. I have zero ATI cards. I'll just look up there. That'll work. Clint doesn't have to be nice. Anyway, right. Uh, anyway, right, I was saying things. Sorry, I'm a bit flustered. I'm also a bit sick, so if I fall on the ground coughing, just leave me for a minute. I'm sure I'll be fine. Um, so Parrot, like I was saying, Parrot is a virtual machine for dynamic languages, and it's also a set of compiler tools for building your own compiler for Parrot. One of the main goals of Parrot is to be able to uh, allow all these different virtual, or I'm sorry, all these different dynamic languages to interoperate with each other. Right? You write your Ruby script, which calls some Perl code, which in turn calls some PHP or something of that sort, which we're, we're getting there. Um, Right now, at, at this very moment, most of that doesn't work because most of the languages, libraries, uh, well, we're getting ready for our release in six days. Six days will be the Parrot 1.0 release, which is good. How many people here know anything about Parrot? Read about it, looked at it? Okay. So the main, main thing I'm going to present on here is I... Uh, wrote a little scheme compiler in Parrot, and we're going to run through how to build the compiler and implement scheme. Um, I had this prepared in advance, 
and I apparently deleted it. I'm not sure. It wasn't on my laptop as of midnight last night. So I wrote it again in about three hours today. So that's good. These, these penguins here, the goal for these penguins is if you want a penguin, you have to ask me a question during my presentation. Your question is going to be if you can have a penguin, isn't it? <laughs> ask a meaningful question, too. <laughs> um, so, any questions before I get started here? There might be one on IRC. There might be. I should. I could try to pay attention to IRC. I'll proxy for them. Yay! That's good. Apparently, he raised his hand, but he doesn't ask a question, so we'll wait. That's right. good. Keep going. All right. So let's talk about Parrot. Um, all right. So the, the very first thing I did to, to try to build this uh, compiler is I ran this. There's this little tool, a make language shell. And go ahead and just run a parrot slash lib slash nine one devel tools dev. Oh. That's not right. I don't care. Anyway. Get checkout one. Here we are. It creates this little directory for you. It's got the very basics implemented. Comes with a little test, which all this language is is just say statement. It's the word say followed by some text and a semicolon. So we can compile this, see if it works. Then I'll show you a little bit about what we have here. Right, so if I run a run parrot on this steam.pbc, that stands for parrot bytecode. That's the compiled uh, uh, bytecode. Repeating myself here. Run it on zero zero six. So it apparently works, right? So let's walk through the the different stages of this compiler. The very first stage is going to be the parsing. So we need a, a grammar here. So let's source parser. Grammar.pg or programmer. These are uh, Perl 6 rules, kind of like regular expressions. And so it's, it's got comments here in pod, which is Perl's uh, markup, Perl's commenting stuff. So we're going to define a grammar. It inherits from the PCT grammar. PCT is the parrot compiler tools. All right. So we start off with, with a rule. Um, it's kind of like a regular expression. There are two things here, rules and tokens. The difference is that in rules, white space is significant. Any section of white space is replaced with a call to the WS rule, and so it's white space in your rule here represents white space in what you're trying to parse, right? Which, eh, it'll work out. It doesn't matter that much. We'll, we'll see it in a minute. Anyway, so we want to parse... Inside of angle brackets is calling a named other rule, right? So it calls a statement rule, which if we look down here, that's liberal text say, followed by an expression, which we'll find later on, followed by a comma, another expression, any number of times. Are most of you familiar with regular expressions to some degree? Vaguely, kind of? Shut up. <laughs> if anything I'm talking about just makes no sense to you at all, just throw something at me, or shout angrily, or let me know somehow. 
or no, not at me. Throw things at Foz. So. Don't care. Anyway, calls the expressions. Goes on like that. Pretty straightforward. It's a pretty simple syntax. I'm not going to get into it too much with this. We'll talk about the scheme syntax, which I'm going to show you in just a minute. Let's just go ahead and move to that. But ever moving along too quickly, or eh, you, I'll just trust you guys to harass me appropriately. Anyway, the changes, changes I made here, right? A, a statement which. This top rule, that's where it comes in, it starts parsing here, so any number of statements is a valid program. And after that, it's either the end of the string, that's what the dollar sign means, is, is the end, or it panics with a syntax error, right? So just bail out. So first we start with a open parenthesis, and it's going to be a symbol, which I define all the way down here as just the built-in little thing identifier, which is, you know, ASCII, I'm sorry, uh, no, word characters, right? Letters, numbers, alphanumerics. That's what I was going for. Some number of those. And I'm giving it the name CMD for a command that you're running on Scheme, right? The Scheme syntax, hopefully all familiar with this S expression, so that would be something like, you know, print hello, right? Something like that. It's going to be your, your Scheme vaguely. I don't actually really know Scheme. So this is based on little tutorials and grammar references and such. And then some number of other terms, which I'm going to find down here. We come down a term. This leading uh, uh, bar, that's an or. <coughs> Usually you'd see that in some kind of grouping, but there's no grouping. So this just means either it's a value or it's a symbol. Right, so match those. Value, we come up here, that's this rule, right? That's either an integer, which is defined right here, or a quotation, right? Which is defined here using some built-in stuff. That just means either an apostrophe or the double quotes, and then everything leading up to the trailing double quote. So I am skipping over kind of a lot. If you want me to stop and go into anything that I skip over, again, let me know, please. Right? And then has to be a close. Now this, this special little curly brace star close curly brace, what this means is when is it, this is uh, used when it, we're actually trying to transform our parse tree farther down. But let's get into that in just a minute. So first let's see if this works, right? Let's see if this parses some basic stuff. All right, so let's recompile it. Oh, go away. I don't want that right now. That's my take typing breaks thing, so my hands don't hurt. Let's run parrot on steam.pbc. Whoops. And let's say dash dash target equals parse. So let's see what happens when it spits out when we give it a little expression, right? So let's say say hello. Oh, that's worked earlier. Ah. <laughs> it did work earlier today. What's what? Since when? That's interesting. Oh. Oh, this is going to be nice. Well, let's see if it works anyway. Well, it does work. So there's that. But no dump. Oh, well, I guess it does work now. Yeah, 
Don't worry about it. Or I, I don't care. Anyway, this is our parse tree, right? And so it, it takes the entire set from that regular, or from that from those rules, and it says, well, here's the entire parse. Was this text right here? Say hello. Well, that contains one statement, which is this right here. Say hello. That contained a CMD. Right? You remember earlier I assigned that name right. See here, CMD equals, and call the symbol rule. So CMD contains an identifier, which was say. There's also one term here, which, well, that was a, a repetition, right? It's got that star. So that's inside of an array of size 1, which contained a value, which was a quote, which was a string literal, which was hello. Is this parse tree pretty clear for everyone? All right, this is just the, well, I'm not repeating myself again. All right, so, yes? How many people have written parsers? Um, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Oh, you were asking them, not me. Yes. You're a clever man. Parse trees is a giant pain in the butt. This is a. Oh, you mean in general? I thought you meant a parrot parser. No. I'll raise my hand now. <laughs> okay. I, do it in okay. I, I haven't implemented any sort of compiler. Well, a little bit for other stuff. I like this a lot better than some of the other options for uh, parsers. So anyway, the next step is, is to take that, uh, I, I just set up a bunch of aliases right here, right? All that is, is steam dash target equals parse, saves me on typing, right? So we want to compile this down. The next step is an abstract syntax tree. That's what you're going to see. Can everyone read this font size comfortably? All right. So what we want is just an abstract representation of the sort of things we want to do, right? This is going to be a very high-level view of our program. It's going to be things like run a command with these arguments, right? So the next layer down, let me show you what that looks like. This is a pass block. Pass stands for parrot abstract syntax tree. There's a bunch of uh, classes in that namespace, right? We've got blocks, we've got operations, variables, values, right? So we're saying that this is a block, is our entire program, and that's a declaration of the program. Eh, we'll get into that in a minute. So anyway, this is an operation. The type of operation is call, so a function call, and this has two sub nodes, right? All of these nodes, all of these past nodes have two parts. They have named parameters, which you can see in here. So it's kind of like a, a Python dictionary or a Perl hash. And there's also positional items. So this is kind of like a, both a hash and an array together, or a, a dictionary and an array together. So the two uh, items in here are um, a, a past var, right? So a new variable whose name, the name of the variable is say, and its scope is package scope, kind of like global scope, right? It'll look in the namespace. And the past value is hello. So call the say function, which is in our, our global namespace on the text hello. Is that pretty, pretty clear? Any questions on what this is doing? All right. 
The way we get the, the, the way we get there is uh, the, the, the compiler is actually calling every time it gets to one of these little curly brace star close curly brace, it calls a function off in another namespace. And it, it passes it this entire batch, and then that other function constructs those objects, right? So in this top rule, what it does is it says, oh, well, this is my entire program, so I'm going to make a block. I'm going to shove every item in there as a statement in that block, right, as an operation. And so we see that's exactly what it is right here. Method top. It accepts this dollar sign slash. Now, this file here is written in a subset of Perl 6 called not quite Perl. It's, it's a very restricted Perl 6. And so it doesn't support a lot, of the, a lot of the fancy things, just the basic syntax. For example, it doesn't have assignment. It only has binding, which is kind of like a, by, by <coughs> reference instead of by value. So we see right here, it's accepting this dollar slash. That's the match object. And so that, that's everything that was in there. When, when we said uh, target equals parse and it printed that out, that's the object that this thing gets. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to create and bind to this variable. Uh, the difference between assignment and binding isn't that much that you really need to care about. It just means it doesn't get a new copy. It's just they're all pointing to the same data structure. We're going to create a new pass block. right? So pass block dot new. This colon and the word followed by parentheses, that's Perl 6's uh, named argument passing. So we're going to create a block with block type declaration. And this node thing here, that's for uh, introspection, right? Where it said, uh, right here, where, where it can tell what was going on here, right? This pass node was created from, or uh, this, some other stuff. Eh. Not actually important. That's just extra stuff. Anyway, so we're going to iterate over, right? Remember the statements were an array, right? It's, uh, where are we? Statements are an array, right? Because any number of them. So we iterate over them. For each statement, you're going to push into it, right? Because this, this block has a list of statements in it, a list of things it's going to do. Now, again, we have some special syntax, right? This, this not quite Perl that's used here. It's mostly just special idioms, right? This dollar sign parentheses means that this, uh, if you haven't worked with Perl, this dollar sign underscore, that's the, the current topic, right? So for each time it goes through this uh, for loop, it's, uh, th this dollar sign underscore is set to each item in that. Don't bother with the name because we're not doing much special with it. So this dollar sign parentheses means get the, uh, the, the syntax tree representation of each of these objects, right? So, so uh, go ahead and compile the syntax tree for each one of those statements, and then give it back to me, and push it inside of this block, right? So if I had multiple of those, right, I, I can go ahead and do that. Um, you know, say one, say two. We have two past ops, right? Two operations in turn. Pretty straightforward. And these are children of the block. So we'll go on through this a little bit more. We won't go through the whole thing unless someone asks me to. There's, we'll, we'll get to it eventually, right? So it's going to call the rule for those statements, right? So that's method statement. Again, it accepts a match object. This says I want to create a new passed op, right? An operation, right? Like a function call or a method call or something like that. On, again, we see this dollar sign parens. So get the syntax tree of this 
right, of, of this CMD thing, which is a symbol. And so we can chase that down, come down here and see that for symbols, right now all I'm doing is say make a new passed variable whose name is whatever was in the ident part of the match and whose scope is package, so a, a globally scoped variable, right? And I'll show you in a little bit where that save function is defined. It's not just magic. We'll get to it. All right, so inside the statement, new passed op, that pass type call. So call that function. And for each one of those terms, I remember term again was any number of these. Push those into the op. Okay, pretty straightforward. And then the make command means set this as the syntax tree representation for this node. It's kind of like return. It's slightly different for some reasons we're not going to get into. But you can think of it as just returning it back into one of these calls here, right? That's what that does. So any questions about how this is working, how this compiles that, that parse tree down into a syntax tree? All right. So now Parrot takes that abstract syntax tree, and the next step it goes to is it compiles it down into a well, a couple steps. It compiles it down into peer, essentially, which is the Parrot intermediate representation. That's essentially a Parrot's version of assembly, right? So I say, say, hello. And it says, dot sub, create a new subroutine with some garbage out here that we don't care about. So what we're going to do is we're going to look in the global namespace, fetch it into a register, Right, Parrot is a register-based virtual machine, not a stack-based virtual machine like many others. Who, who here has done any kind of assembly stuff? All right. So look up with this string, say. And then we're going to save the result of calling this function with the value hello. And then we're going to return it. So that's all it does. Right. It's pretty straightforward. Any questions so far about the, how this works? All right, no questions at all. I guess I'll keep my penguins to myself. All right, so let's start implementing a little bit more. This is a little not exciting. So let's check out the next step. All right, some basic math operations, nested expressions. So let's see what we changed in here. First thing that we changed, we're defining more of these, right? In, the, in this built-ins directory, the make file compiles, you know, concatenates them all together and then includes them in the, in the bytecode. So let's take a look at these. All right, the one we already have was that say function, so source built-ins say dot peer. This is just dot sub say. We're going to accept one parameter, which just slurps up, right? It, it, it's, uh, it accepts as many parameters as we, as we or, I'm sorry, as many arguments as we pass to it. And shoves them inside of an array here called args. So I have a question. Yeah. Slurpy on the right hand side. Is mm -hmm. that actually an argument that you're passing? That's a modifier okay. to this. To the argument. Right. Okay. It says we're. Um, I was just making sure it was actually syntax because it's so far. Yeah. Okay. Is that an attribute? Uh, that might be a good word for it. Like yeah. Like yeah. That that basically says uh, for for the calling conventions when it, however many uh, arguments are passed, just shove them all into an array and put them inside of this variable here. Is this still written in that limited curl? Uh, this, this is written in peer. It's, it's Parrot's uh, assembly language. Okay, so it's not, a, 
I mean, it looks kind of a little bit like the pro, pro Right, language. right. It's kind of a, it's a very, it's very high level for an assembly language. So, all right, we're, we create a, a new low, we, we assign a name. Um, Parrot has uh, four different kinds of registers. Right. Parrot has four different kinds of registers. And you see them with a the dollar sign out in front for reasons we won't get into. But, it, but then it's a capital letter and a number. There are four different kinds of registers. There's PMs, well, there's uh, integers, right? It's a whole number. There's num registers, which are a, a float, right? There's string registers, which contain you know, some, some amount of text. There's PMC registers, which stands for parrot magic cookie, which basically means an object, right? Some sort of high-level object. It could be an array. It could be a, a socket. It could be you know, some custom user class that you've made. It could be anything else, right? And so this is just giving a name to a PMC register, call it iter, create a, a new object of the iterator class, pass these args, and then just loop over it, keep pulling something out, printing it, and then looping back, print a new line, and then we're done. So you define this little built-in. Once you get most of your language up a bit higher, you can start, you know, of course, defining your libraries in terms of you know, actually writing them in their own code. The uh, Parrot's Perl 6 implementation, for example, has a decent amount that's written in Perl 6 itself. Um, I think I think their PHP implementation might be doing a little bit of that. I'm not sure. A few others. Um, anyway, we also added this math.peer file just to define some little basics. So we create a subroutine called plus, which will add two values. Create a subroutine called minus, which will subtract them. Star for multiply, slash for divide. That's pretty high level. Uh, the, these are actually uh, opcodes already. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. you have to define those in an assembly language. Right. Th this is a very high level assembly language, which is kind of fun. And what else do we do in here? Mm -hmm. So we add those and Change the grammar a little bit around. I made it so that a term could also be a statement, right? Which you remember, statement is a, a full S expression. And I also changed the symbol rule to instead of just be alphanumeric, to be any character other than white space and parentheses. So that I can actually call the plus function and things like that. All right, so if I compile this. I can then run it, and we'll say, say, plus one, two. Okay, very straightforward. Also, with each of these, I've been updating the tests, right? So I now have, this is a, the, the, the TAP format is what it is. It's the test anything protocol. It's used a lot in the Perl world. Just print out the number of tests, and then OK1, OK2, OK3, OK4, right? So if I make test, it runs t slash zero zero sanity. Okay, all tests successful. And if I actually just run Steam on the file, it prints everything out. It's working okay so far. Yeah. Do you have to uh, do like plus and then the two things that you're adding? In Steam, yes. 
Um, Parrot actually has, and this is one reason that I kind of was, was a little unsure about using Scheme for this, but actually has a, a, an additional way that you can use its parsing engine to do uh, bottom-up parsing instead. So you actually just define a table of operators, right? You define, well, here, here I've got my infix plus, and I've got my prefix, you know, minus to do negatives, and they're all, you know, the, the infix plus is, is higher precedence or lower precedence, and the infix multiply, and then you, you just define all those rules, and then you, you say it can be a, a token here, and it'll go through and just parse out, you know, all that infix math and all of that. So there is some really nice stuff for that. If we have time at the end, we can go into that too as well if someone wants. Ooh. Someone asked a question. He gets a penguin. All right. So what comes next? I don't even remember what order I did these in. Up until now, I think I got about here by 1 a.m. this morning. Uh, four should come next. Yes, yes, I got through to this part by 1.30, I think. So implementation of the special form if, right, which is, is just, you know, if, and then you have some condition, right? Less than, if 1 is less than 2, then do this, otherwise do that, is what it looks like in, in Scheme. Pretty straightforward. So let's, uh, let's actually take a look at what we changed here. All right, so I added some comparison functions. Let's take a look at those. All right, I did sub equals. If, they, if these two are equal, then jump to the true label, which is down here, and return 1. Otherwise, just fall through and return 0. Same thing for less than, greater than, less than or equal, greater than or equal. You see I'm just using these uh, built-in uh, parrot ops, which are, again, it's a very high-level language, or assembly language. And we also... Did right there we go. I'll just pull it up instead of the whoops instead of the diff. And what we have here is I changed the statement rule to first check for one of, one of the special forms, which have their own special parsing rules. For example, um, instead of just a, like a, a function call, you don't want to evaluate both branches first to pass the argument in. That would be bad if you evaluate both branches of the, of the conditional. So we check them both and only evaluate the one that's appropriate. If it doesn't match any of those, then we call the simple rule, which is just what it was before, right? So the special, right down here, well, that's just the if rule. Now, one, one thing that you'll see right here in a few places, this uh, hash equals, then a word, that's when something could match in a variety of different ways. And you, you want uh, the, the parser engine to actually tell you which it was. So the way that's actually implemented is uh, down here in the statement rule. I now accept a second parameter here, which is a uh, key. Right? And that's which one of those things actually matched. Right? So what I do is I, I take, uh, you know, j just return the syntax tree for the key uh, named sub match of dollar slash, which is the match. So, so just actually return... By far, it's just the same thing that's in here. So it just tells you it matched simple instead of special or special instead of simple to simplify your, your rules there. If I'm losing you, it's not too important. We'll see it again a few times. 
And it comes down here, tries to match if. For if, that's the literal text, if. And then one term, another term, and a third term. So I'm just naming them condition, if it's true, if it's false. And then we call this, right? If, if you're just doing matching, right, if you're just trying to do, you know, the equivalent of regular expression, you don't need to do anything special with it, you don't need this special curly thing, right? So let me show you what a if implements. So you have method if, that makes a new past operation. It creates a new one. The three arguments are the condition, if it's true, and if it's false. And then the past type, I saw earlier, right down here for a simple stuff, that's just a pass type of call. It's a function call. This pass type is if, which is for doing conditionals, right? The, the pair of compiler tools provide a lot of default implementations that make a lot of sense. We, we can actually take a look at the documentation. Uh, docs, PDD, PDD 26, AST. It's also in some more reasonable path, but that's the one I actually remember. So we look for past op. That can be past type of um, copy, bind, or if. The first, second, and third children represent the condition, the then, and the else parts of a conditional expression. First child's evaluated. If it's true, then the second's evaluated. If it's false, then the third's evaluated. Pretty straightforward, right? So we can actually see that. that that's what the syntax tree looks like. Right? We compile it. We see if it works. We say, say, if 1 is less than 0, um, hello or goodbye. Um, yeah. But if 1 is greater than 0, we say hello. Okay. Let's do it with dash dash target equals past. And we see it did actually make a past op of if, right? And that's, that's a child of past type call. Right? So call the save function on this past op, type ifs. And so it just evaluates that out. If we want to look at the peer it generates, right? That's just target equals peer. Um, if less than one, zero, hello, or goodbye. We see it get global that. If this, jump to this value down here, right, and then go on and run these. Otherwise, make a goodbye, and then jump down to the end where it returns it. So that's what it'll generate for each one of these. Just pretty straightforward, completely losing you, and... Because uh, it was more typing. Okay. And I, I can do the same thing here. Right. And so in this case, at first get global say, then at the end down here, it calls this function, which it retrieved up here, and it calls this function on whichever value it did here. Right? So it's either set it to this or set it to that, and call the function on it. So any questions so far about this? Pretty clear? All right, so the rest uh, is just implementing more of the special forms, right? So just adding more to our list or to our scheme compiler. I think next is five.
Whoa, I apparently can count. No, that's the same one. Oh, wait, no, that was previous. Eh, we'll skip that one for now. Okay. We define works. That's actually setting up new variables. Um, oh, go away. Ah. Right? And so we first make a grammar change, right? Here in our special rule, say it could also be a define. And what that looks like is inside of the parentheses, right? Because remember, special is called from something that says parentheses. So inside of S expression, it starts with the literal text, define. And then I added some stuff here for error checking, and I pulled it out later, so it doesn't matter much. But basically, it's just define, and then a variable you want to create, and what you want to set it to. Pretty straightforward, right? And that in scheme is just... Uh, Define A as 1. So let me show you what, what the uh, grammar rule for that looks like. It just says my variable, I'm going to bind it to the syntax tree for variable, right, for, for that match. And then I also set this isDecl. That that's, says it, this is a declaration. I'm creating a new variable here, right? It, it, it's not something that already exists, so don't try to fetch it. Just, just create a new one. And my value, that's that. So now we make a passed op, the pass type bind, right? So, so actually do an assignment to this value. Assign to the variable the value. Pretty straightforward. So we can try this, right? We're going to make define message. Thank you, Clint. Hello world. Say the message. It works. Fantastic, right? Oh, I made some tests for if and for define. We run make test. We see they all pass. See the if test pass prints out. The define test prints out. Pretty straightforward here. If you want to actually look at the, the syntax tree for that, right? You say steam dash dash target equals syntax tree. Define A as one. So you see it just calls bind a newly declared variable named A. That's in package scope. And it got that from that, that symbol rule, right, which creates new new uh, variable nodes here. And then returns a new integer. All right? Any questions about this? We, we okay with this? Want me to look at anything in more in more depth? Want to sit there quietly? Your face is staring ominously. What okay. What's that? Oh, sure. Oh, below the assembly level. Um, Parrot compiles it down to what's called a PBC file, which is Parrot bytecode. So it just compiles it down to the actual uh, binary representation of the opcodes and such. So kind of like a dot classifier in Java. So we can actually print it out like that. Well, I, 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 we can actually do this. Dash, dash, uh, wait. Target equals BC. No. 
Dash-O, eh, bah, I don't bother with it. Yeah, you, you can actually compile down your individual programs down to a PBC, and so you don't need to ship your source with it or anything like that. You can just run the PBC directly, right? I wanted to do something like that. Uh, well, dash is target equals peer. Output to define dot peer. And there's a little bit that I'll need to change in here because I'm not generating it properly. Um, load bytecode steam.pbc. We run parrot on it directly. That'll print it out. We write out to define.pbc. So now we run parrot on that bytecode that runs. And actually dump it out and see here's the header, which tells me the word size, all of that stuff. And down here's the actual opcodes. Right. Here's the constants table, which is for you know, the literal text and such. And so that is that is that about what you were asking about? Yeah. All right. So let's see what I implemented next. I don't even remember. Uh, was it six? Oh, that was now. Seven. I can count. Ah, let. Let is for doing lexically scoped variables, right? So to set these variables for just this block, and then they're gone. So it's kind of like uh, many other languages you do with the curly braces or something like that, or indentation in Python, that kind of thing. So let's actually show you what, it, what it's like. Again, it's, it's pretty simple. But I do need to do things a bit differently, right? Now that we've got lexically scoped variables, we need a way to actually track what's going on with them, right? See, you know, we need to maintain a symbol table to say these variables have been defined here, but you know, later on they're not defined. So what we do is we're going to have this uh, this global variable, of this uh, at sign. Again, this is Perl six. The at sign means it's an array, a list. The question mark means it's a global variable. Right? So we're saying, here, here's our package global variable called block and all capital letters to show that it's weird. What we're going to do in here is, as we go through and create new blocks that are nested inside each other, which is what let does, we're going to actually you know, make a new block object and save it inside of this array. Right? We're just going to you know, shove it on the front, and then every time we need to look at the current block, we'll just look at the start of this array. We can just walk the whole thing there. Right? Right, exactly, exactly. And we also made a parsing change here, right? We're going to actually call this two times at the very beginning, right? Which is first we need to set up this, this stack, make our block for the entire thing, and then again at the end, right? It was going to be called two times. So we see up here, if the key equals begin, then we want to set our, set our variable here to a new past block, and we want to unshift it. It's pearlish for, you know, shove it on the front. Kind of like push, but on the front instead of the end. So unshift this block on there. At the end, we want to actually grab it off of the front. So we want to shift it off, like pop, but from the front. Then iterate over the statements and push them onto it. And then return it. Right? That's our change down here. Define, I actually had 
do it lexically in the current block instead of globals now. So when we pull the variab variable out, we set the scope on it to lexical. We also, right, first I, I grab my block out of at block sub zero, so the very first one on the stack, right? So the very most recent. And we call the symbol function on it, which is just a way to set some data in there, right? So, so we keep this symbol table around, which I'm, all I'm storing in here is the name of the variable, and this is lexically scoped, right? So later on, when we actually mention a symbol, you can actually go back and walk up the, the, the stack and see, well, is it defined lexically anywhere? If not, it must be a global variable, right? So try that instead. So we'll see that in a bit down here. So the way we define let, the grammar for that is right here. Uh, what, what, what the grammar actually looks like is uh, let, and inside of parentheses, we have a list of things inside of parentheses. So we say A is equal to 1, and B is equal to 2, and C is equal to 3. And then over here, we can do you know whatever we want, right? Say A, say B. Right, that's what a let statement looks like in Scheme. And so it's, it's kind of like you know, just defining a block in some other language. A little, little bit different. Ah, I can't. Uh, yeah. So down here, what we do, oh, right, we also had the grammar for it. I didn't show you. So we say we first have an open parenthesis. And then any number, well, at least one, the plus is like the star, but at least one instead of at least zero, of open parenthesis, a symbol, which, <coughs> excuse me, a symbol which we save under the name var, and a term which we save under the name val, a close parenthesis, at which point, once we've parsed that much, go ahead and call it, right? So we create our block first and you know, save things in, inside the symbol table so that when we're out parsing the other statements, it has access to them. Then we parse any number of statements, and then we're done, right? Call it again. So the way we do this, right, we again use this, this global set of you know, blocks, right, our little symbol table. So if the key is begin, then we create a new past block, right, block type of media, which means go ahead and run this right now. Right? We're not defining some code, right? We're not defining a function or something. This is just inline stuff to actually do. And we're going to create a list of statements, which is like a block, but it doesn't make a new scope, right? So just a list of statements to hold stuff in. And then for each one of the variables that we defined, again, that's going to be a list. We want to save it inside. And we can actually look at the parse tree as we're doing this. Oh, I already did make it. Right, so we say let a1 and b2, and then say a. Oh, that's bigger than I want it to be. Go get bigger. Uh, yeah, there we go. So we have our special form. It's let. It has two variables, which are a and b, because they both get saved into that name, so it becomes an array. And we have two values, which are 1 and 2. And then we have a statement here, which is this big thing. So what we do with it, right, for each variable, 
give me the syntax tree representation of it, and then for you, and, and then we want to uh, shift off a of value, right? So pull a value off the front of the list of values. There would be a few other ways to write it to you know work on the two lists in parallel, but I'm kind of lazy, so I'm not rewriting it. Set the scope on it to lexical. Say it is a new declaration. Register it in the symbol table, and then push it. Right, push a new passed op, which is we're going to bind this. Right, push that new op into the init variable, which I defined up here. Then at the end, we shove the init block onto the beginning of our block. Right, so we start off in our block by just assigning these variables. And then we unshift it off. Right, we, we we shove our block into this list of blocks right, our symbol table. Let me know if I'm going too fast. Or you're just throwing something at me as a valid comment here, really. Anyway, if we're at the end, what we want to do is uh, make a list of statements, right? For each statement, push it in there, and then grab our block off of the top of the symbol table, right? Pull it off, shove our statements into it, and then set it as the syntax tree for this node, right? For this part of the parse tree, right? So let me show you what this actually looks like. It's pretty nice. Uh, Passed, right, for the abstract syntax tree. Let a equal to one. Say a. Pretty straightforward. So we start off, we, we get a new block here, right, of type immediate. And it has this sim table attribute, right? So for this block, we've got a new variable called a, which is lexically scoped. And then we want to bind, right, as our first child here, a list of statements. Right? And lists of statements together just concatenate. There, there's no difference between them. Right? So first we want to bind, right, into our new variable a, right? It's newly declared here an integer, value of one. And then we call our name say, scope package, right? So our global save function on this value A. Right? And, the, and the reason it was able to look up, right? It, this serialization is pretty poor. It just references the earlier thing because that's how I got it, right? By looking it up. Let me uh, show you. All the way down here somewhere in symbol. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's all it means. Right, so down here in symbol, what we have is so every time we just have you know just some plain text there and it wants to look something up. By default, it's going to be global. But the and the name of it is going to be the stringification of the the symbol match there. Then for every block, right, so we're going to start at the beginning and just walk through it. If the, uh, if the block, we, we call the symbol function to look up a symbol from its symbol table. And the scope is still packaged because we haven't found anything yet. But if we find something, we haven't found it yet, then we just set the scope to whatever the scope of that symbol is. So it's going to be lexical, right? And then we return a new pass variable with that name and that scope. Is that pretty clear? We all right. I, I keep asking that. I need to stop that. Anyway, I think we have one more thing, which is lambdas. Oh, let me actually show you that it works. 
apparently works, right? For say one to three, we assign A is one, B is two, we say okay one, okay two, okay one plus two, and everything seems to work out okay, right? Make test, still passes, right? Our four test files now. Eight, is that where we are? Apparently. So lambda is just, just a closure, right? It's just, you know, a, a lexically scoped function, a function you stick in a variable. So the syntax of it is just the word lambda, an open parenthesis, the list of, of uh, parameters that that function takes, close parenthesis, and then a statement. Pretty okay, right? Here's our examples here in the test. Right, we, we define an o, uh, using let, we set OK to be a lambda on message, which is say the word OK and then the message. And down here we call OK1, OK on an, a function on one, right? Pretty straight. I'll stop saying straightforward. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know that was getting annoying because it annoys me when I say it too much. Anyway. So, at the beginning, create a new passed block. It's a declaration. And then we iterate over these variables, right? For each thing saved in the var name, that's a symbol, right? So we just bind it to the syntax tree representation there, which makes a new passed var. Set the scope on it to parameter. Say, now we, we are declaring something. And then we also save it in the symbol table as a lexical variable, and then we push it in there. Right? And we unshift it off, unshift it off. Otherwise, right, so we're at the end. We take our statements, shove them into the block, set it as a return value, and we're done. So let's look at what this syntax tree looks like, right? So <coughs> I cough, and then we check it out again. So we run passed on it. So make a lambda of you know, variable a, and we return a times 2. And so we see that makes a passed block. It's a declaration. It has this lexical variable called a, and it's got a, its first statement in here is just a new parameter, right, called a. And then it has one statement in it, which is call the function star on this value and this variable. All right. If we take a look at the uh, peer generated by that, let's uh, say uh, define uh, double to be lambda on a of times a2. Yeah, that works out. Oh, well, actually, let me then call double. Uh, say double of 2. All right, so we first um, get th this subroutine down here, 13 something, which you see down here is named 13 something. As generated, it doesn't give it a meaningful name which accepts one parameter, which is parameter 23. 
That's going to be a lexical variable, so we'll just use this little thing to say stored in the lexical symbol table is A. And we look up the global function star. We then look up A again, because it might have changed in the meantime. We call star on A and 2, return it. So up in here, we lexically save it as double. Get the save function, get the double function, call the double function on 2, call the save function on double. Enter it on. So it, it generates some okay bike or assembly here. And that's about it. I, again, I have tests as well. Uh, they run, make tests, everything checks out okay. Any any questions about this? Anything you want to see more on? Yeah. This is more high level, but it's fine. With what? I mean, what? What was the uh, what was the problem the that that parrot? It's really hard to build a compiler. It takes a, a long time. It takes a lot of expertise. It takes a lot of training. And well, if you're wanting people to be able to experiment with new things, they, they wanted to enable people to go out and you know build their own. Well, that was the rationale for the parrot compiler tool specifically. Um, for Parrot, the original reason it came around was for Perl 6. Stuart is hand, raising a hand, yes. Oh, the name Parrot. No, the basic idea, because it wasn't even the idea that it was just going to be another VM for Perl, just like Perl 5, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, then after the joke was done, they said, you know, uh, that's kind of a good idea. Hmm. I wasn't aware of that part. He was around by the start. Mm -hmm. So it's it's. What about it? Um, I can probably expand on that a little. Okay. Um, my specific interest is probably in how it does the cross-language mm -hmm. hybridish type stuff, and that's probably how the VM is best interacted with. Mm -hmm. If you talk about how that's actually, like, conceptually just brought about and how it's actually implemented in some over high of sure. 10,000 per year. Sure. The, the way that works is uh, each language actually has its own uh, it, its own namespace that it runs in, right? And so code that's running in Perl 6 runs in the Perl 6 namespace. So when it, it, it sets a global variable, that's visible to Perl 6 code, but it doesn't start stomping on other languages, right? It, it also just compiles everything down to peer, as, as you saw here, right? There's nothing different from peer that's generated by the Perl 6 compiler versus peer that's generated by the Python compiler, generated by the lol code compiler, or... Anything like that. Yeah. Well, for, for, various, for various meanings of support, we get different answers. Um, there's currently a mostly complete Tickle implementation, a mostly complete Lua implementation, a fairly complete lol code implementation. Um, of course, it's silly. Oh, and a coming along pretty nicely PHP implementation and a 
very nice uh, Perl 6 implementation. Not quite done. Um, Python, there's a little bit of a, a Python compiler, but there hasn't really been enough interest in anyone to work on it very much. Um, there's, uh, there's a fully complete HQ9 plus compiler, which is a language which consists of the letters HQ9 and plus for printing out Hello World, printing out a Quine, which is a program that prints its own source code, printing out 99 bottles of, the beer, of beer on the wall, and I don't remember what the last one was, but a, a joke language. Um, there's a very complete APL implementation, which is kind of fun to be able to call APL from Perl 6. Entertaining. Um, Excuse me, APL is a really interesting language. Um, I've been having keep, trouble keeping track of all of them lately because uh, right now they're being moved out of the Parrot repository into their own repositories. Um, there's a, I wrote a kind of okay uh, Ruby implementation. It's very slow at parsing. Um, once the program is actually compiled, it runs okay, but it's very, very slow. I started on a uh, um, Smalltalk implementation, but the grammar is mostly complete. There's no standard library, so it's useless, mostly. Um, scheme implementation, Perl 6. And there's a, a huge, there's a big wiki page on the Parrot wiki that has all of the others that I'm not remembering. This is everything that nobody's bothered to move over yet. Awesome basic. Uh, the Befunge implementation is just scary. Um, a few others that I know I'm forgetting. Let's, I, I at least named all the big ones, though. Yes. To some degree, some languages have, well, the active languages have had that problem, yes. Um, but yeah, Parrot 1.0 is going to be out next Tuesday, this is the release, and the headline for, for Parrot 1.0 is it's a stable API for language implementers, which means they're going to have start having a stable long-term deprecation cycle. After this release, the, the next major release, there's still some bike shedding on what they're calling a major releases, deprecation releases, whatever releases. But the next release that affects the deprecation cycle will be in June or July, I forget which. And then after that, it's going to be on a six-month cycle, right? It's going to be every January, every June, right? So every six months. Yeah. So does uh, this 1.0 milestone, does that give us any hope of seeing Pro 6? Parrot is separate from the Perl 6 development. Um, the Perl 6 compiler on Parrot is currently passing, I think it's coming up on around 8,000 tests from the, the set of spec tests. There has been some speculation that a complete 
set of tests will be somewhere around 15,000. We're not there yet. We're still working on the test suite as well. So I would not be surprised if it was released in third or fourth quarter this year. Um, the, the first actual release of Rakuto was just this past month. It was alpha something name. But there, there was a release, and it's going to continue having a monthly release cycle, just as uh, Parrot has been for the foreseeable future. There's a lot of stuff that can be done if you want to help. There's still, still, a, lot of, still a lot of work that's pretty accessible, um, even if it's just on the test suite. Um, so Pearl 6 is coming on pretty nice. So that's actually pretty exciting. I can... Uh, Oh, I think I already compiled it. Oh, that's really cool. Everything's all screwed up right now because uh, Parrot's moving towards a lot of things are trying to rely on an installed Parrot instead of a Parrot from the build tree. And so right now, and, and I just changed around to that uh, at around 12.30 this morning. So <laughs> th there's still a few things that are fighting over which version of Parrot it's using and... Yeah, that's not something you'd run into on a reasonable system. It's not all hosed. Anything else you want to talk about? Parrot's targeted platforms are um, uh, Windows, Mac OS. I, I know we've got both Intel and PPC Mac OS, 64-bit uh, and 32-bit Linux. Um, they're, they're looking to get packages in Ubuntu, packages in Fedora, packages in Debian. They've been fighting to get packages in Debian for the past year and a half because everyone who keeps trying to sponsor them just disappears and doesn't respond to emails. Um, I know we have a few people running it on various BSDs. I don't know if they are in the officially supported set or not. Um, any other platforms you're curious about? There has been a lot of interest in getting it running on mobile devices. Um, another interesting thing that I saw was uh, some people were working to get it running as a Firefox plugin. So you could then write your scripts instead of in JavaScript in any language Parrot supports. Not that I know of. Mm -hmm. um, there has been some work at getting Java bytecode to run on Parrot. So you could then interoperate your compiled Java classes with, you know, use them from Perl, which is interesting, as well as uh, there's another project getting .NET bytecode running on it, too. Stop talking directly into the mic. <sighs> it's all right. It's, it's fun, though. Yeah, with with uh, Java, that was originally Jonathan Worthington who wrote most of it. I know he is doing some kind of DBI stuff, but I'm not sure what.
that becomes even more powerful because those languages share a great architecture. But say your your Python code, or even if you really want to, your Bash script could access any database through this native API. Who else and wants a penguin? Careful, you got a wire. Ah! <laughs> What's. Oh, all the way back there. I didn't see. I'm out it's of penguins now. So, how low level is the byte code? The byte code is uh, cross platform. You, you compile your byte code on one system, it will run that exact same file on. Any other architecture, regardless of, of Endian, regardless of assuming, processor, assuming a, a, a pair. right? Yeah. As long as you have Parrot installed there, but it, it's not machine code. Um, the closest you can get for that is there is a tool will, which will embed a Parrot interpreter into a piece of bytecode, making it well, embed some bytecode into a Parrot interpreter to make what they, they call them like a fake cutable instead of an executable, which is kind of silly, but. Works out. All right. What's that? Now, performance. Um, there are few bottlenecks in performance. Performance right now, I actually did have some statistics. Uh, I don't remember when I made these, but um, at the time this was running on an unoptimized parrot, and this is measuring some kind of loop or something running on the cardinal, which was my Ruby implementation on parrot against the C version of Ruby, and about a 10 times performance difference. Um, but I was not able to run it on an optimized parrot, so there was no JIT, no kind of optimization at all. But there, there are... Uh, Two, a few big bottlenecks. One is uh, in the current Parrot architecture, there are several places where we go back and forth from uh, C calling conventions and Parrot calling conventions and back and forth several times, which just kills performance horribly. Um, and there are plans to fix that, but nobody has implemented them yet. Um, it, it is known there, there's a plan how to do it. It's just a lot of work, so it hasn't happened yet. Um, also, garbage collection. Right now, Parrot uses a stop-the-world, mark-and-sweep-everything garbage collector, which is, well, slow and bad. Um, th there have been a couple of projects to implement a generational garbage collector on Parrot. Apparently, it is mostly done, but just needs to be merged in and touched up, and it's been that way for a few months waiting for someone to finish it off. That was uh, part of someone's Google Summer of Code project, partially a few of the other Parrot contributors were working on it. So um, the core Parrot developers that I've talked to about this have very good hopes for Parrot's performance in the future. It's not horrible right now. It's not, you know, thousands of times slower, like, few things I've seen, but it's still, you know, not fast right now. Is that about on the order you wanted to know? Um, 
for example, uh, let's just throw something together. Um, I zero equals zero. Um, greater than I zero. A big number. Oh, let's put another zero on there. I don't want to count them. loop and increment i0 go to loop so let's run that Oh, that was not enough zeros. Let's make it a thousand times more. There, that was about three and a half seconds to run that many iterations. So in spinning the CPU uselessly, at least it can do that much, that's in no means a reasonable benchmark, not, not a very useful one, but does mean something. Um, there, there's also, it, it, it does have a JIT, which is not as good as it could be yet. Uh, not quite everything can be JITted yet, but I'm told there are plans for everything to be, so we'll see about that. Anything else? Um. How fast can you type? <laughs> Maybe then. You can type really fast, but then you type Python really fast. <laughs> no, um, the Python interpreter or compiler right now does not very much. It can do the basics, define a class, call a function, define a function, instantiate a class, the, the basic stuff like that. but. Doesn't doesn't have list comprehensions. Doesn't have, you know, a lot so of the fun stuff. What about the constructs that are different between languages? How does um, how does Parrot handle that? Um, kind of thinking of examples of, uh, and I really don't have a good uh, good uh, understanding of enough languages to actually say which one has different stuff in them. But I know there are different components in different languages. Mm -hmm. How does it deal with that in regard to like so? Maybe in Perl there's some you know, magical object thing that's structured a certain way and it's different in, in Python the way they build them. How does that, I mean, I'm guessing it's in the interpreter itself mm -hmm. in Parrot, but if it's fundamentally different but they accomplish similar goals, a good example maybe is like a Ruby uh, loop, they do things differently there. Mm -hmm. um, um, the, the way that works is that the, the compiler generates the same, uh, it, it's always just generating peer. So control constructs like that, like loops and, you know, whatever else. Simple things like that, I can see that's not right. a problem. I'm thinking more like, you know, something abstract that probably got implemented in some language that people use. Um, there's, yeah, I mean, I've, there's probably mm -hmm. examples, and I'm not, I'm not articulating that very mm -hmm. well. But. Um, in general, most of that stuff is exposed through the same core Parrot primitives. There are a few places that, that, that things are weird. For example, most uh, 
most uh, Scheme and Lisp implementations that you look at don't use an array as their data object. They have you know, the, the nested cons cells, which if you implemented your language like that, if another language tried to work with one of your objects, it would be weird. It, it, you couldn't do array access on it. You'd have to call the, you know, the, the well, foreign function to do it. Uh, Parrot took into account that. And said, oh, that could be like an array in this language and that. Um, you can actually build, I guess you could. I don't know. The parent stance on that is that they don't do anything like that. Okay. They do not define any kind of policy. You could define you know, a, a, you know, a module in Python that would you know, kind of wrap that foreign class, right? Like define your, your scheme module, right? So you'll import scheme, right? Okay. And then you can call scheme functions. And that's like a reasonable that. way to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But the, there's nothing in Parrot that tries to do that automatically, that tries to convert objects from one type to another type. The, the, well, there's well, When you talk about like, primitives and like, right. basic object, I can see that. That's not that specific. Mm -hmm. But when you get into something that's a little more complex that might be in one language versus not in another. For example, uh, in, in Ruby, a lot of the core classes like integer and string and such have a lot of methods on them. Right. And depending on how you implement things, if you, if you just, you know, if I return a string from Perl 6 to some Ruby code, the Ruby code working on it would, you know, if you tried to call that method, there's no method like that on this object, right? You, you could just call the Perl methods because that's a Perl object, right? It's just a different class, okay. right? So it, it doesn't you translate that. If you right, exactly. And that makes total sense, like trying to figure out a way mm -hmm. to, you know, I think that makes the most sense. That has never been implemented, so it's been pushed off until someone implements it. It is not part of the 1.0 release. It is still part of the plan for the eventually we'll do this Magic Ponies release number, but currently there's no STM. Uh, the things it does have, it does have good good threading, it does have a good event model. The object model is Perl 6's object model, which is a superset of all other object models, basically. So one, one interesting thing has been uh, seeing that you can define you know, using roles and such on, you know, on other languages that don't normally support that. Um, one tension that has existed has been, it would be so easy to add this to my language, but the language doesn't support it. For example, uh, I added gather the, the gather take control structure from Perl six. I added that to Ruby, a Ruby compiler, because it was easy and made some things nicer to uh, work with. But if anyone writes that in their Ruby code, it will be not nice. Mm -hmm. But it, it was kind of fun actually calling Ruby functions, which would take a variable and have that interoperate with the Perl six gather. Construct and things well, I think like that's that. Always been one of, what I've seen as one of the benefits of mm -hmm. Parrot is it gives other open source languages a chance to truly be op truly open source and gather the core work from another language that's being mm -hmm. attracted to their thing. I mean, mm -hmm. That's what Perl's tried to do all along, but now right. sharing that same core is really different than that essentially. Mm -hmm. Right now, all of the languages that I implemented the um, call code in another language construct in. If you try to use it, we'll still look for that language to be in the languages directory of a parrot installation, which 
It probably won't be because, like I said, all the languages are moving out. There's some infrastructure work that's going on on actually position, you know, where are the languages going to be installed, and Parrot can look them up for you. And I'm not sure how that's been working out because I haven't been following that mailing list thread. So right now, none of that works after uh, I think three months, two or three months ago or something. I posted a made a blog post about I got all of it working and the fun examples and such. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.